Good morning, brothers and sisters. So as you can see with the rose vestments today, it's Laetare Sunday, which means we're over halfway through Lent. Laetare, of course, is the word for rejoice, and that's the first word from our opening prayer. And rejoicing is a good theme to consider in regards to this gospel. Now, it is a long gospel. It's probably the longest gospel except for the passion narrative that we read on Palm Sunday and Good Friday. So the reason the church has given us this full gospel in one sitting is because it's so significant in its entirety. It reveals to us in a very clear way what Jesus came to do for each one of us. We know he is the light of the world. And we know that those who live in sin live in darkness and they are the blind ones. Those who have been forgiven of sin set free have their sight restored to them. Now, of course, Jesus is not referring in this case to physical sight. Yes, in the gospel, he performed a physical miracle, but that wasn't the point of the miracle. He even said to his apostles before he performed it, look, the reason this man was born blind is so I could do the will of God here. I could reveal the truth. And what is the truth? Well, he is the truth. Jesus is the truth. He's revealing himself by performing this miracle, revealing that he is the Christ, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. If you put your faith in him, he can open your eyes. And these eyes are the eyes of our souls. This is why he was ridiculing the Pharisees in the gospel, because they claimed to be able to see, and of course they had physical vision, but they were spiritually blind because of their sin. And because they wouldn't open their mind and heart to God, to Jesus, because they were closed off inside and rejected him, they remained blind. And so it's impossible for somebody who's spiritually blind to find happiness, to find joy. How can you rejoice on anything, really? I thought it was appropriate today that we talk about happiness from the church's teaching. So the church says that every human being was made by God to be happy. We're actually made to be happy. Now we do that by serving him in this life and living with him in the next. But happiness is ultimately the desire of each of our hearts. Nine out of 10 times, well, probably 99.9 out of 100 times, whenever we do anything is because we want some form of happiness. But oftentimes the choices we make in this world don't make us truly happy. And that's where the church distinguishes between what we call imperfect happiness and perfect happiness. There's a very important distinction. Imperfect happiness and perfect happiness. Both give you happiness. One is obviously imperfect. The other is perfect. So what is the difference? Imperfect happiness is gained by any good thing in this world. So natural things. God gave them to us to make us happy, but they can't make us perfectly happy. So as happy as money can make you and good looks and intelligence, and I'm not just talking about me, as happy as a skill or a great job or the adulation of the masses, as happy as that can make you on a natural level, it is always essentially imperfect. So it can't make you perfectly happy. This is why when you read those gossip magazines, which you should not do, and if you do, go to confession, and you see all of these movie stars, actors and actresses, and famous musicians and performers and everything, they've got adulation. 
they've got the love of the masses, they've got money, usually good looks and a, and a good skill, and that they're still miserable and they're doing drugs and getting drunk and sleeping around, living this horrible life. Well, you'd think it, they had everything they wanted in this world, why aren't they still happy? Because nothing in this world can give me perfect happiness, nothing. Nothing merely natural. So having more of these natural goods will not make you happier. Having the right amount in the right way can give you some imperfect happiness. But the only thing that can give you perfect happiness is ultimately heaven. Now the problem with that truth is, does that mean we're never gonna experience perfect happiness until we get to heaven? The answer is no. We have the ability even now to begin to experience, in a sense to taste, what we will have in heaven forever. Perfect happiness. But perfect happiness is only gained through spiritual things. Material things can't do it for you. Only Jesus himself can give you perfect happiness. Now those who live in darkness, those who are still blind in their sin, we know they're blind because they keep going after the things of the world to try to find perfect happiness. But they never will because it cannot be found there. It's imperfect. But those who have sight, those who our Lord has healed and given spiritual vision, they see and they pursue those things in this life that will help them obtain not only perfect happiness in the next, but even a taste of perfect happiness here on earth. And what are those things? The easiest way to explain them is from the church's teaching. I wrote them down just so I wouldn't mess them up because there are 14 of them. On the works of mercy. I'm sure I could list them all, but it take me a while. So I just wrote them down. It'll be easier if I read them. The works of mercy are the works that Jesus Christ himself performs. And since he is the way, the truth, and the life, we who follow him do not walk in darkness. How do we follow him? The works of mercy. Whenever we perform these works, these 14 works, we are beginning to live and love like Christ, and so we begin to experience the life and love of Christ in heaven, even here on earth. When we do them, we taste perfect happiness. It'll never completely satisfy you until you get to heaven, but it'll help you get there. It'll help you find at least some semblance of happiness and ultimately help you rejoice even in this life despite its struggles and difficulties. So, the church distinguishes between two forms of mercy. There are corporal works of mercy and there are spiritual works of mercy. Corporal, Latin word for body. So bodily works of mercy, things you do to help other people's bodies, and spiritual works of mercy, things you do to help other people's souls. Okay, pretty basic, straightforward. So the corporal works of mercy are to feed the hungry. Makes sense, Jesus talks about that. Give drink to the thirsty, again, another human need. Clothe the naked, shelter the homeless, visit the sick, visit the imprisoned, and bury the dead. These are all works that Christ did in his life, and he asks us to do. These are works of love, for other people, but it's a love fixated on the needs of their bodies, the needs of their bodies. So again, feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, clothing the naked, sheltering the homeless, visiting the sick, visiting the imprisoned, and burying the dead. All of these things 
help to form the life of Christ within us, and we who seek them begin to taste perfect happiness. Every time you do one of these things out of incentive and reward, God gives you a little perfect happiness. He gives you just a bite. He says, here, try this. This is what heaven's going to be like. And hopefully that'll motivate you to continue to do these works of mercy. Now, the spiritual works of mercy are to admonish the sinner, to instruct the ignorant, to counsel the doubtful, to comfort the sorrowful, to bear wrongs patiently, to forgive all injustices, to pray for the living and the dead. Now, the spiritual works of mercy are greater than the corporal works of mercy because obviously the soul is greater than the body. It's just logical. But both are so pleasing to God, he gives this gift of joy every time you seek to follow him in these ways. And I can speak for myself on a personal level. Whenever I am, even because of my vocation, called to perform any of these deeds, I always am happier afterward. It doesn't matter. Personally, I, I could be absolutely exhausted, mentally, physically, just want to go home and be alone. You know, I'm an introvert. And that I still have to go hear confessions. It doesn't matter. The first confession I hear, I feel better right away. That was it. I automatically am lifted up. And I'm not even forgiving your sins. Jesus is. But I get to participate in that work of mercy, the forgiveness of injuries. Just by participating in it as, as a priest, as a minister of the sacrament. I begin to experience the joy that Jesus himself has when he forgives. As you will every time you forgive. Each of these works when performed merit this gift from God. Not only and more importantly, of course, forever in heaven, but even here on earth. And so you ask yourself, why, why do I feel so wretched in my life? Why am I never happy? Everything is so hard, so many crosses, so many difficulties. Well, when was the last time you tried to do one of these works of mercy? Now, I, I do want to say, with the spiritual works, a few of them people can very easily misinterpret. So, to admonish the sinner, to instruct the ignorant, and to counsel the doubtful, and to comfort the sorrowful. Jesus is presuming that you're doing those in love. Okay, just to let you know in case some of you are confused on that point. You know, oh yeah, I love telling sinners that they're doing bad things. Yes, absolutely. I'll do that one all the time, Lord. I'm really good. No, no, it's not what it means. It has to be lovingly, respectfully done. If it's not, then it's not a work of mercy. Okay, it's not as simple as just reading them from a list. But in the end, when we seek to do them, even daily to look for opportunities to perform these works of Christ, these works of mercy it will actually help us just get through the day because we experience, even if only briefly, perfect happiness. Perfect happiness. So what I recommend is that each family should have the works of mercy, the corporal and the spiritual, listed, large print, somewhere in your home, somewhere visible, where everybody can see it every day. You could put it on the fridge or you have a bulletin board or wherever you put them. And you should challenge your spouse and you should challenge your children each day to look at that list, maybe in the morning, and say, okay, which one am I going to try to do today? In which way am I going to experience 
perfect happiness today? How am I going to conform my life to the life of Christ? Now, those who are still in darkness do not believe this. They think happiness can only be attained through natural goods, through their accumulation. They have no idea. You could have absolutely no natural goods. You could be ugly and penniless and ignorant, and yet be perfectly happy because you seek to imitate Christ in these superior ways. Remember this, this is why men and women give their lives to Christ, whether in the priesthood or the religious life, because they have experienced through this perfect happiness and they realize, I don't need to live a secular life to be happy. I don't need material things to be happy. I have the works of mercy. I have the life of Christ. You can experience that same life every day in your own home. How many times do you have to forgive the injuries that your spouse or your parents or your children commit against you? How easy is it every day to pray for your family and your friends and the deceased? So many of these can be done simply enough, if not easily enough, and yet we neglect them. And we expect somehow that we should be happy in this life. Only the life of Christ can give us perfect happiness, true happiness. Nothing in this world is going to satisfy you apart from a good and holy spiritual life. And so again, put these up in your home visibly so that you can see them. Ultimately, we should have them all memorized. We should walk around each day looking for opportunities to perform any of these works of mercy and realize not only will we benefit in heaven one day because of them, but we'll benefit even now. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.